I'm Brian Hubbard. And I'm Lynn McTaggart. And we are What Doctors Don't Tell You. And welcome to this, our very latest podcast, vlog, and yet again, Facebook Live. Hello, Facebook Livers. Um, what Doctors Don't Tell You has been uh, published continually since 1989. And this is our, our latest issue is just out in the stores. I'll hold it up for Facebook people to see, although it's back to front. Um, so, yeah, so having researched medicine for quite as long as we have, we always have something interesting to say about the latest health news. So let's get cracking with the first item. This one's been rumbling around for a couple of years, but it's picking up a bit of a head of steam of late. Um, it goes back to, well, back to 2012, in fact, when um, the, um, in Australia, the uh, National Health and Medical Research Council decided to ask for an uh, independent review of homeopathy. Does it work? Everyone says it doesn't, so they wanted to find out for themselves. They recruited an Australian university who found 171 studies that demonstrated that indeed homeopathy is of some use. It's effective against a whole range of various conditions. But this was never published. The um, council then said we weren't happy with this, even though the independent monitor who was looking for the effectiveness, the validity, if you like, of the science behind the study, said, I'm impressed by the rigour, thoroughness and systematic approach given to this evaluation. Overall, a lot of excellent work has gone into this review and the results are presented in a systematic, unbiased and convincing manner. Nonetheless, it never was published. So mm. the um, Research Council then decided to recruit a different set of researchers and at the same time seriously raise the scientific bar. And they said, look, no, no uh, study that doesn't involve at least, I think it was about 170 people, well, 150 people could be allowed in. And of course, all of a sudden, they couldn't find any studies, bar five. They only found five studies that met this very uh, rigid uh, criteria, and none of them found that homeopathy worked. And so the, um, the Research Council finally came out in 2015 and said, well, there you are, homeopathy doesn't work. It's worth bearing in mind this bar that they raise is not one that they use in, in conventional drug research. Yeah, we wouldn't have many studies, Brian, if, yeah. we, uh, <laughs> if yeah. we only had studies that included 150 people or right. more. Right. So, so, um, so anyway, so the upshot of all this is that um, uh, various groups, the homeopathy groups, are now campaigning to have the first study published. And uh, we'll tell you the website and the URL to go to to register your your vote on that as well. But uh, what do you make of all that, Lynn? Well, I mean, it's outrageous. And it's the usual double standard that's applied to alternative medicine. I mean, first of all, we should say there are a lot of studies of homeopathy demonstrating proof. I mean, Switzerland decided to do a very rigorous study of homeopathy to decide whether or not to include it on its National Health Service. And they came out with many, many studies demonstrating that it works for certain conditions. And that's only because those certain conditions had been well studied. Mm. But it, the upshot was that it said, yes, there's enough evidence for us to include this on the national health. Well, that's big. 
And that was certainly they were looking to save money. So they would have tried to um, find, you know, as many flaws as possible, but they couldn't because mm. they had an independent reviewer, mm. you know, and a, a, and a good, you know, a good scientific team looking at the overall evidence. This was dirty pool. This was obviously dirty pool. They set out to debunk alternative medicine and homeopathy, and they succeeded by creating such tiny and tight criteria that mm. nothing could fit through. Mm. I mean, this has been the subject of a documentary about homeopathy, and they talk to many of the people who have researched the other papers and demonstrated that there are good studies for mm. homeopathy. Mm. And of course, there are, you know, this is the same kind of thing that's happening in Britain with certain skeptic organizations trying to close down homeopathy mm. and not allow it as part of the national health. Mm. Yeah, that movie is called Just a Drop, I think, just to mm -hmm. mention if anyone who wants to catch it. Well worth seeing. Absolutely. And here's the interesting thing. They keep trying to kill homeopathy by saying there's no evidence for it. So here's my challenge. I think if we're going to go by that criteria that there's no evidence, I say we should get rid of and eliminate any kind of medicine that hasn't been conclusively proven. And I think that you'd find that most drugstores would be clear, they'd clear the shelves because mm. most of that stuff hasn't been adequately proven mm. or the studies have been so tainted that yeah. they're really worthless. Yeah. Well, the BMJ Clinical Excellence Report demonstrated just that, that only about 30% of conventional treatments and drugs are absolutely proven to be of benefit. Mm -hmm. It's that low. And... Um, I think it's almost like it's all back to front, isn't it, with homeopathy? I think what it is that the science community says it, it's impossible for this to work, therefore it doesn't. Yeah. And, and it doesn't matter how much evidence demonstrates that it is working, even if we don't actually understand quite why it should work, but it does work. And so therefore it doesn't fit with the scientific view of, of who we are and how science works, so therefore it can't possibly work. And that seems to me, the, you know, the mindset we're dealing with here. Well, I mean, that's the mindset in generally in, in science too. It can't work. You know, that was the mindset that they thought about um, meteors. Mm. You know, they said at the time when meteors were first discovered, well, stones don't come from the sky because stones can't fly from the sky. Mm. You know, and it was just that. It was just mm. scientific ignorance. Mm. And that's all we're really demonstrating now. Mm. According to our old, out-of-date, materialist view of the way the body works, mm. we think homeopathy can't work. But mm. if you look at new science, Brian, and you look at all of the new science demonstrating that water is like a tape recorder, mm. Scientists have demonstrated water has a thing called coherent domains. Mm. They kind of cluster around other molecules or information, mm. as is the case in, in homeopathy, and essentially record it. Mm. And when we start looking at that kind of new evidence, new evidence that's being collected by people like Luc Montagne, mm. the co-discoverer of AIDS, um, the AIDS virus, you start realizing that the thing isn't, the problem isn't homeopathy. The problem is the scientific paradigm. When you open that up and you start looking at this in a wider way with the newer science, it all makes sense. Mm. And it's worth just, I'll now bore everybody for 20 seconds about the history of the pharmaceutical industry. And it sort of came out of the petrochemical industry in the 20s and the 30s. And more importantly, 
It came about uh, during the age of when they were able to mass produce things. And when you have mass production, so they were able to mass produce these chemical compounds. And what they needed was a demonstration that it would work for everyone. You know, but the trouble is they were mass producing all sorts of things at the time, bicycles, cars. And these are fine for people because we all get into the same car and drive it off. But it doesn't seem to work so well with these chemical compounds. Why? Because we're all unique. We are biochemically unique beings. So therefore, these pills aren't necessarily going to work so well for you as they might for me. And, you know, so they but nonetheless, they had to demonstrate this. So they invented this this double-blind placebo-controlled study, big controlled studies to demonstrate these things work. And of course, they discovered that it didn't, and which is why you see more fraud in medical research than any other branch of science. And, you know, and, and that's why homeopathy sort of says, well, okay, we are demonstrating that it does work according to your measures, but actually, that's not how we would measure it anyway, because we know you can't mass produce this stuff. It's individual. And that's the point of homeopathy and a lot of alternative systems, that they are for the individual and not for the mass, because you and I would, again, could you know, go to see that same homeopath with similar presenting symptoms and walk away with a completely different remedy, depending on your need compared to my need. And this is the reality. And it's something that medicine is slowly accepting because now they can alter it and customise drugs for the individual. But until that day comes when they really can do this properly, they're going to stick to this. And they're going to insist that the homeopaths um, follow the same measure, which is a nonsense. Absolutely. Look, so anyway, so if you want to see this first uh, paper published, you have to go to a website called releasethefirstreport.com and add your name to the petition to get this uh, this paper published. So that's releasethefirstreport, all one word, .com. And whilst on the subject of URLs, don't forget us, wddty.com. And if you want to give away a free gift, it's forward slash giveaway, all one word, uh, G-I-V-E-A-W-A-Y, where we have a free gift of a uh, some good health tips for you uh, in exchange for your precious email address. So um, nip over there and nip over to the um, Release the First Report site as well. And, well, we're going to carry on with our podcast, but you Facebook livers, thank you for watching, and au revoir till next time. Okay. A cup of coffee is good for you. Four cups is even better. A new report says that uh, drinking that amount gives you the optimum amount of caffeine to kickstart the uh, powerhouses in our cells, which is the uh, mitochondria, and uh, helps with all sorts of things, um, such as lowers your risk for type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and stroke. Um, and they, the researchers at the Heinrich Hein University in Germany have also discovered how this comes about. That um, is all to do with a protein called P27, which responds to high concentrations of caffeine. And that's equivalent to four cups of coffee a day. And um, not only does it prevent, it can also help repair the damage that can be caused by a heart attack. And so it does seem that there's something about coffee that is 
very effective and good for us. And I guess it's really about the caffeine rather than the coffee. So they don't talk about tea and other things, but I guess the same could apply. Well, that's the interesting thing. Of course, there are other compounds in coffee. You know, it comes from, you know, the, the mm. coffee bean. And, mm. and there's other things that could be part of this whole wellness thing. But it's interesting. There's been so, Caffeine has been so demonized, Brian, mm. for so many years. And we're now finding that it is really good for you. And there's mm. so many good things about it. Mm. And this is not the only study that we've seen that has demonstrated good things about coffee. Yeah. So there we are. We, um, I think, you know, again, I suppose with all these things, it's down to the quality of coffee as well. We'll play a part. They don't talk about that. So, um, but uh, there you go. Go outside and get yourself a cup of coffee after Absolutely. listening to this podcast, of course. Absolutely. Who'd have thunk it? But the reality is that even problems like bone loss leading to osteoporosis, again, could have their origins in the gut and they certainly the solution seems to be in the gut which is quite extraordinary um the uh, researchers have looked at this and they found that uh, people who take probiotic supplements which help to um you know to improve the the gut environment called the microbiome people who take probiotic supplements uh half the rate of bone loss the actual rate of bones not just the possibility but actually half the the, the, the rate of bone loss, the health of the bone is directly affected by this. And of course, which means you reduce your chances of osteoporosis and fractures, which is you know, a big problem for the elderly. It's a big problem for women once they're past the menopause. And, you know, it's one of these things that has always been put down to being down, uh, you know, part of the aging process and that there's nothing anyone can do about it. But, you know, there is and it's as simple as this, as, as taking this probiotic. They, they tried it out on 90 women who had an average age of 76, half of whom were given the probiotic, the rest were given the dummy powder. And after a year, CT scans revealed that the bone health of those taking the probiotic was far, far superior to those who had given the, the dummy powder. So what do you think about that? Well, I think it's so interesting, Brian, when you think about... Um, the way osteoporosis is treated, mm. it's treated by uh, essentially slowing down one process. Um, in you know, in bone is dynamic, and it's got the builders, you know, the architects, and the you know the repairmen, and the architects are constantly building new bone while the repairmen are pulling down old bone, mm. and this carries on as an ongoing process. And what they try to do with, um, with osteoporosis drugs is just remove the repairmen, basically. And they just slow down that process so there's just new bone laid down, but, uh, but not old bone taken away. And the problem is that bone gets harder but brittle. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it, yeah. it, 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 it's not a real process. It doesn't reflect the the dynamic process that's going down of building up and breaking down, building up and breaking down all the time. And also they diagnose this as a problem of lack of calcium. Mm. There are so many women um, who die whose cadavers are then checked out, you know, during autopsy, mm. they find all this calcium all around the body. It's not making its way to the bones. 
So that's a really wrong-headed approach. And once again, what we find is that everything is connected and it all starts and ends with the gut. Mm. You know, and the gut, if the gut is healthy, it's creating what is necessary for bone, good bone health at any age. Mm. The problem is as people age, they have less stomach acid, they have, you know, fewer of the good guy bacteria in their gut. And so that's probably the problem behind osteoporosis, according to this kind of research, mm. rather than the idea that bones just automatically get brittle as you get older. So, so it's a process problem, that we're not digesting properly, absorbing yeah. properly. Yeah, mm. exactly. Okay. Exactly. And when we do, we just aid that ongoing process that happens through our lives, mm. no matter what age we are. And I suppose that's the consequence of a poor diet over time, that you know, we become less able to process and digest properly. Poor diet, toxins. Mm. You know, there's so many toxins out there that mess up gut health. Mm. Everything from mercury in, in the food mm. and amalgam fillings, that's a big gut messer-upper. Right. And there's also, you know, the other toxins we have in our environment are stress. Stress has a terrible effect on the gut. And mm. as I say, as we age, we have less stomach acid. You know, and that has a big effect on things. We develop leaky gut from taking too many pharmaceutical drugs. Mm. We have parasites. We pick up all kinds of nasties all over the mm. place. And we're, you know, we don't have enough good guy guys in our bacteria, you know, in our gut to fight off these bad guys, these parasites. Mm. So all of these things are part of a whole spectrum of mm. things that can be sorted out easily with the right supplements. And... Here is so an in, it's such an interesting example of one thing that is a distant part of the body still affected by this central process. So is, is the menopause a bit of a red herring? In all? Oh, totally a red herring. Mm. You so, know, tell it to some of those women in the blue zones mm. who are hiking and walking and healthy over 100 and they don't have bone problems or... You know, women from indigenous cultures, they don't have bone problems either. Right. It's a it's a diet problem. It's a gut problem. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Well, we just spoke about everything starts in the gut. If it ain't the gut, could be your gums. Uh, a new study's just come out suggesting that's exactly where rheumatoid arthritis starts. That, uh, in fact, it's the state of our gums in terms of you know the bleeding and all this thing where we don't take good enough care seems to be a place where germs will accumulate and then spread through the body causing a chronic inflammatory response which is of course also known as rheumatoid arthritis which is an inflammatory condition so um but yet you know the fact it starts in the gum is so interesting because i don't think again you know, people who don't read what doctors don't tell you would never guess. As, you know, with the previous item, they wouldn't have guessed osteoporosis begins in the gut, you know. And I think it's just this, I think what's interesting about all the, both these stories, really, is just the holistic nature of disease and wellness. And the trouble is that medicine looks, is ever more narrow cast, looking, you get more and more specialising going on. And, you know, a specialist isn't going to see gum problems as as the issue here so i just think it's absolutely fascinating what's going on so what do you reckon Lynn? well i think it's really interesting to start tying this together a little bit mm. um 
What they're finding is that gum problems are also indicative of the kind of bad microbiome that we have in the gut. Oh. You know, that they mirror each other. And one of the really interesting uh, experiments done by one of our panelists on What Doctors Don't Tell You, Dr. Sarah Myhill, who is a really courageous general practitioner in the West Country of the UK, who has battled the medical authorities on numerous occasions and won. Um, and what she does, she's a very integrative specialist, so she uses the best of both in medicine. But what she's found with vitamin C is that high doses of vitamin C kill all kinds of infections and baddies mm. and create what she says is essentially a sterile gut. But she also finds it creates a sterile mouth. High doses of mm. vitamin C in the mouth get rid of the bacteria in the gut, so the bad bacteria in the gut. So there is undoubtedly a connection between what's going on in the gut, what's going on in the mouth, and that this is why this is so important to sort out your gut, because mm. you'll probably find that when you do, you also s sort out gum disease. Yeah, something very interesting is going on lately, because I've come across a number of relatively young people with rheumatoid arthritis, and it seems to be a growing number who are getting this, what is supposed to be a relatively rare condition. So it's very interesting that something's going on here, mm -hmm. that we're seeing more cases in, in, in the last two or three years. And yet no one, I'm sure, is looking at their gums. No one's looking at their gums. No one's really thinking about their gut, too. I mean, a lot of cases of rheumatoid arthritis that we've discovered in What Doctors Don't Tell You have to do with some sort of bad guy bacteria or pathogen, you know, oftentimes a parasite um, uh, that is infecting the person mm. and creating this constant inflammation and that is causing the joint issues. Mm. And of course, that same issue goes on the gums. You really have to ask yourself, why is it that gum inflammation is a giant issue in the over 50s. Mm. Everybody goes, to, their teeth are probably okay now. They've got, you know, thanks to modern dentistry, you know, they've been patched up or they're in good shape um, thanks to all the things we do. But um, their gums are oftentimes a problem, mm. even with the best of care or mm. a good diet. Mm. So you have to ask why. Why is there so much bacteria here? And why is that not the case with indigenous populations that have, you know, great teeth if yeah. they stick to their indigenous diets mm. so it has to be something related to the gut and it's so interesting to see that connection yeah okay thanks lynn okay well doctors are inventive they're resourceful they'll turn their hands to anything and they'll even bung you a drug for something which you're not supposed to have it for and that's called off-label prescribing it goes on a lot and um, you know, it's done with the best of intentions, of course. Hmm. Um, but it often goes badly wrong if you give someone a drug for which it's not intended. And uh, the latest uh, example of that is that doctors are going seriously off-label with um, so, some anticonvulsants, which are supposed to be for epilepsy and seizure. But they're giving them to people with low back pain. Well, virtually everyone in, on the planet at some stage seems to have low back pain, but they really shouldn't be taking these powerful drugs. I mean, the point is that they are very effective painkillers. 
but they, you know, it comes at a slight price. And um, you know, someone's researched this and um, said, look, you know, guys, you better stop because these drugs, uh, including Valium, are not supposed to be taken for someone with a bit of a back problem. And uh, this really has to stop. I mean, the last 10 years, the level of uh, prescribing these drugs has risen fivefold just in the last 10 years. And um, needless to say, these powerful drugs cause a whole range of, of health problems, adverse reactions, you know, up to and including death. So a high price to pay to ease the back pain. Uh, the sad thing is that when you have back pain, you really can't go to conventional medicine for mm. it. I mean, many of those forward-thinking doctors in medicine, including a very important orthopedic surgeon called Gordon Waddell, who is a Scottish, a Scottish orthopedist, um, have basically said, look, you know, there's not much we can do for back pain. <laughs> you know, mm. we maybe sort out 5% of cases and the rest, the 95%, you know, either stay in pain or are worse. Mm. And it really has to do with so much with modern living and there's a raft of alternative specialists who have much, much better um, success with back pain. Everything from chiropractors and osteopaths to Feldenkrais practitioners to Egoscu practitioners um, to Alexandra Technique. There are so many people like that mm. who just can point to real success, mm. that there's no need to take drugs. Mm. And of course, as you say, this is... This smacks of desperation, mm. you know, to throw a drug, this off label at a problem just says, I don't know what else to do with this. Yeah. So I'll just throw this at the wall and see if it sticks. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's done with the best of intentions, I'm sure, but, you know, a crazy practice to follow. All right. Well, look, that wraps it up for another week. And um, thank you all for listening and watching. If you're looking at the vlog, we're What Doctors Don't Tell You. Look us up on WDDTY.com. Buy our magazines in the stores or subscribe even better. Go to the URL WDDTY.com forward slash giveaway for your free gift if you're not already a member of our community. Um, I'm Brian Hubbard. Thank you for listening. And I'm Lynn McTaggart. See you soon.